0: He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right?
1: Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at
0: 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinions. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you, our late night show. Are you kidding me? Jacksonville, Florida, after a football catastrophe last night at Everbank Stadium, where else would you rather be right now from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here on Hacker After Dark? And we do certainly appreciate you joining us. Um, We got a lot to get into. Guest lineup looks like this. We'll have a little Tuesday night coaching with Campo, my buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He will stop by to break down the loss last night, the injury concerns, and certainly look ahead to Cleveland on Sunday. We'll do a little high school spotlight in the 11 o'clock hour. Brian Braddock, the head coach of St. Augustine, as they get ready for a state championship game on Thursday, Thursday, Jamie Rogers, the head coach of Bradford County, as they get ready for a state championship game on Friday. Justin Barney of Channel 4 as well. And we will certainly talk about Florida State. Look, those of you that have listened to me over the years know that there were times over the last 21 years and three different radio stations that I might not have been as objective, Denmark. I know you find that hard to believe. I'm an objective broadcast journalist now. That's what you get in your old age. But when I was 25, when I was Denmark's age and I was running my mouth on 930 or the Toaster or any of the other radio stations we've been on, I tend to lean orange and blue a little bit. I, don't think. I have always liked Florida State. Yeah, well, the Pat Kennedy basketball camp is really what did it for me back in the day. But uh, I've leaned orange and blue, I think certainly. Uh, but I did not lean orange and blue Sunday. I thought that was ridiculous. I thought it was a bad day for college football that Florida State was left out of the playoff. I got a lot of thoughts on that. We'll get to some of those tonight. We'll share a lot more of those with you tomorrow night on Hacker After Dark. Because a large portion of our one, as you can imagine, will be the Jacksonville Jaguars and exactly what transpired about 24 hours ago down at Everbank Stadium. And with that, every night, Here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the
2: night. What's the big deal? What is
0: the big deal? It is a big deal. (laughs) On
2: Hacker After Dark.
0: When a team shows you who they are, believe them. And the Jacksonville Jaguars have shown us Now, three separate occasions at Everbank Stadium this year that they're not ready for the spotlight. They're not ready for prime time. They're not ready to be in the mix among the best teams in the NFL. You lose at home to Kansas City, you don't score an offensive touchdown. You get absolutely boat raced by San Francisco. And last night, your defense... Just was abysmal as Jake Browning, making his first career road start in the NFL, went through said defense like a hot knife through butter. You also include a loss to Houston in there at home, and the Jacksonville Jaguars do not have a home field advantage. They are not any good right now at Everbank Stadium. They are a much better team on the road. So for all the talk about the number one seed, I'm upset that they're not going to be the number one seed because of that bye week. But as far as home playoff games, they're meaningless. Meaningless. You're not any good at home. Your four worst performances, the four games you have lost, have all been here at home. So what are you worried about not playing a home playoff game? The Jaguars are clearly better on the road. Now, I still believe they are in the driver's seat for the division. I still believe they will win the division, which will guarantee them at least one home playoff game. And hopefully they can buck that trend and actually win a game at Everbank Stadium, a game that matters. But it looks like now if they're going to do anything and it's a tall order with all the injuries, which we'll get to in a moment, they're going to have to do some stuff on the road in the postseason. Good. They're a better road team than they are home team, and you cannot argue that fact. You can't say, ah, oh, hacker. No, there is no ah, oh, hacker this or that. They're 6-0 outside of Duval County. They're 2-4 and inside. That is a trend. That is an issue at this point. So there's that. Um, Trevor Lawrence, that was almost as bad a situation as you could have ever imagined until we started getting word late last night and early this morning that it may not be as bad as how it looked. When Trevor Lawrence was on that field, good heavens, you wait 12 years for Monday night football and that's what you get. A defensive performance that was just pathetic. Pathetic. And then Trevor Lawrence gets hurt to boot, along with Christian Kirk and Walker Little and Foley Fatakasi and Trey Herndon and Tyson Campbell. It was a terrible night for the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's no sugarcoating that. It was a terrible night. But the sun came up this morning. You might have found something in sixth-round rookie Parker, Washington. And it appears, even though Trevor may miss some time, is expected to miss some time, I would imagine, it's likely he will be back at some point in the next, I would say, month, would be my guess. Maybe sooner. I cannot imagine a scenario where he plays on Sunday. I think that's more people that are just fans being hopeful. Um. I can't see a scenario where he plays on Sunday based on what I saw last night, but we'll see. We thought it was bad in Detroit last year, too, and he never missed any games because of it. All of that leads me into this. This morning, for the third time this year, the sky was falling, if you talk to Jaguar fans. Remember after the Texan game in week three? The 85-yard kick return by the 260-pound fullback. Jaguars are 1-2. and Biggest disappointment in football. Sky was falling. Remember three weeks ago when San Francisco came in here and treated you like a junior varsity? Just pushed you all over the field, did whatever they wanted to? Sky was falling. And what happened in those two instances? Sky was falling after week three. All the Jaguars did was rattle off win after win after win after win. They rebounded. Sky was falling three weeks ago when San Francisco humiliated you. What happened? Two huge division wins against Tennessee and on the road against Houston. And now here we are again, right? Sky's falling. Cincinnati comes in. Jake Browning embarrasses your defense. There are injury problems. You're going to Cleveland this week. If history repeats itself, the Jaguars, for what they lack in prime time and what they lack in big games, they make up for in resiliency. They make up for in getting off the canvas when they're knocked down. They've done it time and time again. It's what I like about this football team. There's a lot I don't like. I don't like their home record, and I don't like the fact that when the nation's eyes are on them, they seem to drop the ball. But what I do like is when they get knocked down and they're on that mat, they seem to get up pretty quick and respond. Can they do that again, going to Cleveland with uncertainty at a lot of positions because of injury? We'll see. We'll talk more about it as the week goes on. But we've been here before, haven't we? Week three, sky was falling. Team responded. San Francisco, 34-3, sky was falling. Team responded. Will it happen for a third time this year? Sky is falling. Will they respond? I think they might. I think they might. And we'll talk more about that as the week goes on. A lot to do, college ball tonight, high school ball tonight, but we'll begin with my friend Dave Campo. Normally on Monday nights, but, of course, because of the game last evening, now we have a little Tuesday night coaching with Campo, and I can tell you the head coach was fired up, man. He was fired up. We'll talk about the loss. We'll talk about the pathetic, and I do mean pathetic, defensive performance, and we'll look ahead to Cleveland. We'll talk about the injuries as well. Dave Campo, our head coach. Here on Hacker After Dark, he's next. Tuesday night, Jacksonville, Florida. And as always, we are glad you are with us.
3: Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line.
0: Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars fall to the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football, 34-31. They fall to 8-4 and four on the year. They are now in a dogfight. In the AFC South and word comes out earlier today a high ankle sprain for Trevor Lawrence but under the circumstances I think we'd probably take that because it appeared that it might be a whole lot worse. With all that being said let me welcome in my buddy Dave Campo our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. We always get Monday night coaching with Campo of course this week a little Tuesday night coaching with the head coach. Coach how we doing?
2: Not that good, Ryan. And when I use the term Ryan instead of hacker, I'm not really doing too well. but uh, <laughs> it, it was a, it was a it was kind of a rough night. and uh, watching the tape a little bit here, it's a rough day as well.
0: Well, let me go ahead and just say for our audience tonight, thank you again. Coach and I were on the fifth quarter from about 1.30 a m to three a m early this morning, believe it or not. So, again, thank you, Coach, for doing that. I know a lot of people enjoyed getting that instant feedback. And not to rehash everything we talked about earlier this morning, but just your overall thoughts on what appeared to be a real missed opportunity uh, uh, last night.
2: Well, you know, I I think, you know, the flaws of this team are kind of jumping out a little bit. Uh, You know, I thought the offense obviously scored 30 30 points or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, so you can't, you can nitpick some things there, but, you know, they actually uh, did some good things. The problem is there is that the offensive line is just not physical. And, you know, it, when you can't run the football, the play action pass is is a waste of time. And so, you know, that's really kind of what happened in the ball game offensively and, again, we had some, some key drops and, and, you know, a few misplays uh, that really hurt us. On defense, uh, it's, it's the I'm going to say it in reverse. We could not stop the run. And a number of the runs – look, when there's a long run or a screen pass where, you know, a screen pass is just another running play, uh, when you're not where you're supposed to be and you bust gaps – that's when the big runs occur or uh, when a secondary guy's involved and he misses a tackle, that's usually part of it as well. So defensively, we just, uh, you know, we couldn't stop the run. The play action passes were what got the big plays uh, because they're off a running place. And other than the one, you know, big takeoff that, that beat uh, Tyson Campbell, the majority of the big plays were off of play action. So if you look back, you say, defensively, uh, for some reason, we were not totally prepared, whether it was coaching, a lot of it is execution, of stopping the run, and and that's what happens in a ballgame.
0: Yeah, the defense left a lot to be desired last night. There is certainly no question about that. Coach, let's get to Trevor Lawrence. He was very good prior to the injury. He then goes down can barely put any weight on his leg. You're thinking the worst, and we really didn't know. Now, word started seeping out early this morning that maybe it was not as bad as initially feared, as it initially looked, and Doug Peterson earlier today described it as a, quote, high ankle sprain, but, Coach, given the circumstances of how it looked last night, I think a lot of people would take that.
2: Yeah, you know, again, a high ankle sprain sprain is significant from the standpoint it's really, it used to be called pull ligaments. you know, when you pull the bones apart between the tibia and the fibula. And, you know, that takes some time to heal. Uh, He is pretty tough. You know, he's pretty good about, uh, you know, being available. And and the one thing that's to an advantage is the big guys, the guys that put a lot of weight on their uh, feet, uh, have a harder time coming back. So he's going to miss some time. I just don't know how much I think it's significant uh, as to how how badly the strain was. I was hoping it it was just a, a low ankle sprain, which tends to come back a little quicker. But he's going to be out for a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's Twitter doctors all over the place right now, depending on the severity. And, again, we don't really know the severity. Minimum two weeks, maximum six weeks. Maybe it falls somewhere in the middle. So you're talking three to four weeks. But again, that's just mere speculation. Maybe the bigger news injury-wise, Coach, is the fact that Christian Kirk is going to miss some time, as Doug Peterson described. That is certainly going to be a blow for this Jaguar offense.
2: Yeah, you know, when you have a core uh, injury like that, you know, the core can go anywhere from the abdomen to the groin. Uh, You know, that's a significant injury as well. You know, it's, it's kind of like the hamstring. You know, you just, you don't know. Everybody's a little bit different in how they react to those things. And uh, it, it's unfortunate. Uh, I thought Parker Washington, other than knowing exactly what to do all the time, uh, had a pretty good game. I mean, it looks like he can be talented if he knows what he's doing to catch some balls, catch some critical balls. But, you know, the play that Trevor got hurt on, he didn't run the right route. And that's why he had to pull the ball down and ended up having to, you know, have uh, walk a little step on him. So, you know, obviously Kirk is one of our better guys. And, uh, you know, I I think Washington, hopefully, that's why they picked him as a replacement in the future for uh, Kirk. So he's going to get his opportunity now, it looks like.
0: Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo. He's with us every week here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Walker Little with a hamstring coach could not possibly come at a worse time because Cam Robinson's already out, and you get to see Mr. Miles Garrett on Sunday. We'll get more into the Browns game in a moment, but boy, Blake Hance, if Walker Little can't go, that's going to be a mighty tall task.
2: Yeah. I think Hans is a, is a good player. I, you know, I don't know exactly what they're do. They're going to do, uh, you know, they may, I mean, there's a lot of things that if, if he can't play, you might switch 77 over to the left. You know, he's, he's athletic enough to play over there, but then again, you know, you're moving two for one, you know, and, and so they have to make a decision on if little doesn't play whether or not Hans is the guy, uh, that's something that, that we'll know as, as the week goes on, I would assume. The one thing about uh, Walker, he hurt that ham earlier. It wasn't on the play that got Trevor hurt, but it, it was probably part of it because of the fact that, you know, if you've got a hamstring injury, it's, it's a little tough to push off. And, you know, he set pretty deep and he was standing up and he got pushed back into him. So that could have been from, uh, you know, the injury, but it, it didn't happen on that particular play.
0: Coach, there are a lot of things to take away from last night's game, but the the prevailing thought to me is when a team tells you who they are, believe them. You and I talked about this on the fifth quarter. Three opportunities at home, Kansas City, San Francisco, and Monday night against Cincinnati, they laid two absolute eggs on defense, and in the other game against Kansas City, they laid an egg on offense. I mean, is it a situation where – this team simply isn't ready to be in the national spotlight?
2: Well, I mean, obviously, I think, uh, like we said last night, you know, if you do it once, that's one thing. You do it a couple times, okay. Uh, you got some concern. When it happens three times, uh, it's a trend. And so, to me, uh, that's something that, that this team is going to have to to really uh, reach down inside here because every game from here on out is a playoff game. And, it doesn't matter who you play. I keep saying that uh, I don't care if we're playing the Baltimore Ravens or we're playing the Carolina Panthers. If you don't show up and you don't uh, you're not mentally ready or physical enough or whatever it is to handle that situation, it's going to be a problem. So, you know, that's something the coaches have to address. The, the team leaders have to address it. Uh, you know, that's something that I think is, you know, you bring it up. That's, you know, that's a concern. I I really think, but I'm more along the lines of, if you execute, and you got good players, it doesn't matter the game you're in. You just have to execute. And I don't think we executed uh, nearly as well as we had in the past yesterday. And that be the might be the mental uh, trend that's out there.
0: Couple of more for our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo. Coach, you've been a part of college high school, obviously the NFL, for 50-plus years. You've had an unbelievable coaching career. So you've seen it all in your coaching career, no question about it. 6-0 and o outside of Everbank Stadium, 2-4 and four inside Everbank Stadium, and three of those four have been horrific performances. Can you explain that?
2: Well, I, I mean, you know, there. I, I don't know if there's anything to it. I don't know if this team bonds better when they're on the road and they're in the hotel together and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's, you know, the, the coaching staff has to kind of evaluate that. Maybe we should be going in a hotel here rather than let guys go home or whatever. I'm not sure exactly what they do when they're at home. But some of it has to do, you know, against who you're playing against. You know, uh, I, I kind of dismissed the the uh, Houston game back uh, when because I, you know that was just a, a looking at press clippings more than anything else, in my opinion. Although Houston's better than we thought they were, uh, but the other ones, you know, when you're playing against Higgins and 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 uh, Chase, you know, Chase is one of the best in the league. Uh, so you know, it, it depends on who you're playing against sometimes. We just happen to be playing, and and the disappointing thing to me is that if you're playing a tough team, you want to play them at home normally. So uh, there's something going on to where they're not they're not totally focused or something. When you make a lot of gap control mistakes like they did in this ball game, and it started hack on the very first play, the very first play they blitz uh, the the our nickelback uh, Herndon into the B-gap inside the offensive tackle, and he gets a concussion on the play, so he shouldn't have been in there in the first place. But uh, Vodacassi is on the nose. He's got the next gap inside. He doesn't get there, and it's a seven-yard run. So it started from the very first play of the game. So I'm not sure what the reasoning is, but there's something to do with focus.
0: Coach, obviously moving forward, we're going to assume here on Tuesday night that Trevor Lawrence with a high ankle is not going to play in five days. I think that's a pretty safe assumption, which means it will be C.J. Beathard. Um, your thoughts on Beathard and the philosophy from a head coach with a, a experienced quarterback. I mean, Beathard's played a lot. He's not a rookie. He hasn't started in a couple of years. But how does the game plan change knowing you got your backup in there?
2: Well, the one thing for sure, you, you're going to find out what he likes and what he does best. And he's an experienced quarterback. I thought he did a good job when he came in. Other than, you know, get rid of the ball a couple times where he tried to scramble because he can't run. So, you know, that's another issue. You know, you've got a guy that is probably not really a great perimeter type of a guy, although he did make a great throw, the last one that they called the holding penalty on, uh, on the move. So they're going to, they're going to create, uh, what he does best. And, uh, you know, the, the concern I have is a lot of that's got to concern the running game. And I just don't think we're playing, you know, that we're, our, our inside running game is, is there. And so it's going to be interesting to see. I don't think you can bring anybody in. That's going to be any better though. He knows the offense. He's been there. He's been with those coaches, uh, I, you know, I have confidence that our guys can scheme. So, you know, that's what's got to happen between now and and it's a short week. That's another issue. So, this is going to be a tough game. I mean, uh, but hopefully we're going to be 7-0 and on the road.
0: Final moments with Dave Campo. Cleveland doesn't want to hear us complaining about injuries. They've been without Deshaun Watson for a month. We don't know if it's going to be Joe Flacco necessarily or who it's going to be. As their quarterback, their star wide receiver Amari Cooper is also in concussion protocol after Sunday. So you're going to have two pretty banged up teams, coach. And yet with that, it's the eight and four Jaguars and the seven and five Browns, two backup quarterbacks more than likely starting, and what's going to be a very big game in the AFC.
2: Well, it's it's backup against backup, but to me, uh, they don't have the firepower on offense that the team we just played does. However, their defense, although, although Bengals' defense looked like they were the number one defense, they came in at 28th and 29th and 30th in all the major categories. So you, every game is different, but their defense is, is literally uh, a shutdown type defense. So, you know, our biggest thing is going to be to, you know, I think we're going to be able to move the ball some, but not enough to, to say we're going to win it on offense. Our defense is going to have to step up.
0: There's no doubt about that. We'll see what the weather's like in Cleveland, too. December in Cleveland, you never really know what you're going to get. And I think as we wrap up here, Coach, the one thing to remind fans of, we thought the sky was falling three weeks ago, 34-3. And the Jaguars responded with two victories. We thought the sky was falling after week three's loss to Houston. And the Jaguars went to London and won a couple of games. They've been here before. Yes, the injuries are certainly worse now than they have been. But if this team has proven anything other than they can't really win at home and they're not very good in front of the national audience, but in a positive sense, when things have gone bad this year, they have responded. We'll see if they can do it again. But I think that's important to remember.
2: Yeah, this team has been resilient. I think that's uh, the culture that's that's, uh, developed over there. Uh, I think that uh, there's no reason to think this team is, guys. You know, I said this last night, guys, uh, the sky is not falling. Uh, I'm miserable still. It's not 24 hours yet. But once 24 hours is over, we got to get ready to play the Cleveland Browns. And and this team has been resilient. Uh, I feel like there's enough leadership in the locker room that uh, they will respond.
0: Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, my friend Dave Campo. You get him weekly on primetime. You get him weekly on the fifth quarter. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, I'm getting away for a little getaway at the end of the week, kind of clear my head from all this nonsense with the Cincinnati Bengals, but I will be back on Sunday, and I will see you at the Players' Grill for the fifth quarter, and I certainly hope you and I and Leon Searcy are talking about a big Jaguar road win once again.
2: All right, have a a good uh, little bit of time off, and uh, I'll see you
0: Sunday. There you go, Dave Campo, our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. Yeah, I'm with you tonight and tomorrow, a little getaway on Thursday and Friday, and then right back at it Sunday for the fifth quarter, two hours after the Jaguars and the Browns go final. Uh, Obviously, a lot more Jaguar talk, a lot more things to discuss when it comes to Jacksonville and Cleveland, which we will do uh, in the 11 o'clock hour and we'll really hit that hard tomorrow night on a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. But this is my first opportunity to talk about what I thought was a terrible day for college football on Sunday, uh, keeping a 13-0 and Power 5 conference champion Florida State out of the playoff. I get it. You take the four best, right? Not the four most deserving. But uh, man, it's just not a good look. For ESPN to show the reaction of Florida State in that selection show, I thought was pretty bad as well on their part. There were a lot of things I just did not like about Sunday. We're gonna talk about that with my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You've heard him on my show for years. Love talking with Mr. Beard, and we'll talk Florida State. We'll talk about the transfer portal and how out of control that is. A lot of departures from the university of Florida, there's a lot going on in college football, no question about it, and let's hit all of it with Brent Beard next, Tuesday night edition, A Hacker After Dark, with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you, here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM, let's ring up another guest on the all-pro roofing phone line, back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, We are glad you are with us. Boy, what a weekend in college football. The playoff has been decided. You want to talk about controversy when it comes to Florida State. Good grief. The transfer portal is in full effect, and we have a Heisman Trophy to give out in less than a week's time. With all that being said, let me welcome in my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, my friend?
4: To uh, add to what you're saying, the other issues going on right now are uh, at midnight, uh, Monday morning or Sunday night, whichever, uh, the transfer portal opened, and it's going to be open for a month or so, and already a bunch of big names, like, Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma uh, has entered, uh, and Riley Leonard of Duke, uh, Tyler Van Dyke of Miami, Will Rogers of Mississippi State, D.J. Unglele of, of uh, Washington, Oregon State, uh, and Kyle McCord of, of uh, Ohio State. Bowls will begin on the 16th. Finals were going on, and oh, by the way, on the 20th is early signing period. And uh, now, now, we'll certainly get into all the the, uh, the uh, playoff situation, but, heck, the reality of this stuff is, uh, and this is more of a sermon on another day, but the coaches are going to have to do something over the next few years to get December uh, – rained in. It used to be one of the easier times when basically all you did was take time for finals, rest a little bit, and prepare for a bowl game. Uh, Hank, that's one of the minor things you do now.
0: Yeah, they got too much crammed into a too short amount of time, and I've been saying that for a couple of years. I agree with you. We'll see what happens moving forward. Well, it happened uh, on Sunday morning when the playoff was announced. We have never in the history of the playoffs seen an undefeated Power 5 champion left out. We now have, and it happens to be one of the teams that we cover the most in Florida State. Um, Brent, the committee was in a no-win situation. Somebody was going to be angry, but I made this point on social media. They did not take the four most deserving. Florida State was more deserving than Alabama. They were more deserving of Texas. That's what happens when you go undefeated. You play a decent non-conference schedule, including wins over LSU and Florida. Uh, I'll argue with anybody about that. They were more deserving. Were they one of the four best? Probably not. But to penalize those kids, that coaching staff, that fan base, and that university for essentially Jordan Travis' leg snapping in half against North Alabama, to me is a horrific look by the committee your thoughts
4: well we've got such a um a, really a poor system with this four team i mean it's better than the bcs and it's better than the ap poll voting uh, so we have made some progress but it really has its limitations and we found that out this weekend uh that the uh um, the four-team playoff has uh, really uh, reached the point where it is no longer the best system. Thankfully, we have got a new system coming up next year with the 12-team playoff. So Florida State and anyone else who didn't get in would uh, um, uh, will have an opportunity to rectify the situation So let me comment uh, on a few things. Um, What you said is correct. You're either going to select the best teams or the most deserving, uh, and the committee went with the best teams. In other words, these are the teams we think that regardless of, of record and how they did in the postseason, that they are the best. Now some other things, uh, and I'll go through some bullet points here, the, on the committee, there is some talk about, well, there're just more uh, SEC people than ACC. Well, in actuality, it's reverse. There are up to about five of these committee members that have, that have ties to the uh, ACC, including the Chairman Bill Corrigan, and there are only really two guys from the SEC. The nothing that hurt Florida State was the strength of schedule. Uh, and I know there's nothing you, you can do about the conference you're in, but they were 55 and Alabama was five. Uh, the other thing that's unfortunate is, and it's a part of the criteria or injuries and Boo Corrigan, the chairman of the committee and the AD and NC State said that FSU is a four different team than where it was the first 11 weeks. Uh, And another thing that that really has not been brought up that needs to be is part of this is the ACC's own fault. In 2021, the ACC went along with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to form this silly alliance. And they formed it because the SEC was uh, expanding and they wanted to slow that down. Well, the thing that really slowed that down was the fact of, uh, that they were ready, believe it or not, to, uh, to actually have the 12-team playoff this year in 2023 instead of next year. Well, this alliance slowed it down another year, and it cost us, uh what we should we're going to have next year we shouldn't have this year so that uh, all these things go along with this and i will say along with florida state if you're a georgia bulldog fan to me you've got as much of a gripe as florida state does because you were the number one team for weeks you were unbeaten you get beat by three points To the number four team in Alabama, uh, and you fall as far as they did to six. So that was unheard of. Uh, What happened to Florida State was unheard of. Uh, Unfortunately, Hack, we had uh, the doomsday scenario, frankly, that we had been concerned about for years that really all came together this year, and the reason it is because we had so many undefeated teams that were not upset like they normally are. All, you put all that together, uh, and it caused a real difficult Sunday for a lot of people.
0: You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. We could talk about this for an hour. we got to go pretty quick here because we're running short on time already. But the fact of the matter is, if I'm a Florida State fan, I'm furious. I mean, you have to ask a question. If Michael Penix gets hurt, do they keep Washington out? If J.J. McCartney gets hurt, do they keep Michigan out? I, I don't know those answers. Uh, you know, I agree that Georgia might have a gripe. Heck, you could argue Ohio State might have a gripe. Brent, but they lost a game, right? They, they lost. Georgia knew they had to win that game, and they lost. Florida State, for say what you will about their schedule. The fact of the matter is they are a Power 5 team. And I'm as big SEC homer, a big SEC snob as you will find. But Florida State beat two of them, right? They beat oh, yeah. Florida. Oh, yeah. They beat LSU. They oh. went to Clemson and won. They played Duke when, when Duke was good and beat them when they were in the top 20. I mean, what more do you want those kids to do? And, and, and I understand a 12-team situation will remedy this, and I get that. It won't remedy it for a lot of the seniors that are going to go so, on to, you know, live the rest of their life not knowing what was going to happen when they did everything that was – they can't win any more than 13. That's all they play. And they won all 13. And I was um, – I mean, I wasn't shocked because I had kind of gotten word. You started seeing, you know, um, clues, I guess, that it yes. was going to be Texas and Alabama. So I wasn't stunned like a lot of Florida State people were. But I was outraged. And if I'm outraged about something involving Florida State, I can't even begin to fathom if that was Florida that this happened to or if that was Georgia that this happened to, an undefeated team. But again, the SEC versus the ACC, there, there are a lot of issues with college football. And I don't, I don't fault any Florida State fan for, for being very, very, very upset about this.
4: And I'll say this quickly. The, the the thing that also bothers me about this, it we, they will never admit this, is if Georgia had won, would they would the committee still have put someone in uh, besides Alabama or, or whoever over them? Uh, I, I think that I think that may have still happened regardless. What I think happened here, Hank, is when they saw the game against Louisville, I think that committee panicked a little bit and thought, uh-oh, if we put them in here, are we going to have another Georgia TCU game to where it's not competitive? Now, uh, and, and that may not have ever come up the conversation, but I really do wonder, Hank, uh, uh, when, when they saw FSU's limitations offensively, and this is unexcusing what they did, but I just wonder if that went through their mind and that was actually a part of the discussion.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me, and I've seen that. And, you know, the Alabama thing, beating Georgia was, was enormous,
4: All right, obviously,
0: but Alabama was fourth and 31 away from losing to an Auburn team who got absolutely destroyed by New Mexico State the week prior. I mean, everybody had flaws, right? Florida State's flaw was they're in the ACC, and they don't play the, quote, big boys like Alabama does. But I I just – my heart – and then I saw Jordan Travis on social media basically implying that he wishes he could have broke his leg earlier in the year so the committee could see what his teammates could do without him you want to talk about just your heart going out to a kid. Uh, Not only did he have to deal with the injury a couple weeks ago thinking he let his teammates down, but that's the reason Florida State's not playing. Jordan Travis's leg snapping in half on an awful tackle against North Alabama is what's keeping them out of the playoff. And for the committee to put that on a kid, it had nothing to do with him again. There were were a lot of bad things that happened on Sunday. I thought it, quite frankly, was a bad day for college football.
4: Well, and it's uh, my – the thing that gives me some hope is we do have a change in the system next year that we're not going to be going through this. And and the reality is uh, people won't be as concerned uh, about the number 13 and 14 team that gets left out. What they are concerned about, and they should be, uh, is what happened to Florida State – Uh, At this point, too. So but I think what's also going to be said, there's no way in the world of minimizing what they have done in going through this season uh, undefeated, uh, winning their conference title for the first time in basically a decade. I I still hope in the midst of the, the disappointment and the despair with this, that they will at some point, celebrate what they've actually accomplished this year.
0: Brent Beard, you see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, we went long there, so we got to go rapid fire. Final moments with you. Florida, the transfer portal you mentioned is open. they got a lot of guys leaving. Now, some of the guys leaving you don't think too much of, honestly. They're probably looking for greener pastures elsewhere. But then you see Caleb Douglas enter the portal and yep. then you saw Chris McClellan enter the portal. And at the time you and I are talking, there's a lot of quote-unquote bigger names that are contemplating entering the portal. Maybe they have been by the time that we run this. Um, that's a problem for Billy Napier. When I saw McClellan enter, who was going to mm-hmm. be the starting D-tackle next year,
4: yeah. when you yeah. see
0: Caleb Douglas enter, who they were going to count on after Pearsall left, that's, that's worrisome to me. What are your thoughts there?
4: Well, I think several things are going on here. Uh, And by the way, Kingsley Aguakian is declared for the NFL draft. Um, Look, I I mean, this is a guy who needs to come back and prove to the uh, NFL that uh, he can stay healthy. And then if he does, he's going to get drafted higher than he would be if he went out. Now, again, because these guys enter the portal doesn't mean they're leaving. But I think, and it's unfortunate to say this, but it's just the reality of it, is Hank. Whether it's Florida, whoever it is, a lot of this is I'm going in the portal to see what I can get on the open market. In uh, Mount Rule, Nebraska, I mentioned this earlier, and he he talked about the money that quarterbacks get and linemen get, and so forth. And right now, that's what we've got going on is. Uh, It doesn't mean they'll leave. Uh, It is concerning. There's no doubt about that. But I think some of this is if I go in here and people know I'm in the transfer portal, what might I get that's more than what I've got now?
0: Brent Beard, you are a Heisman voter, obviously. The Heisman, it is that time of year. We're not going to tell you to uh, disclose your pick or anything along those lines, but it appears on the surface to be a two-horse race, Between Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix, I don't think I'm breaking any news there. Uh, Three losses. We've seen guys win the Heisman with three losses. Look at Tim Tebow in 07. Michael Penix is in Washington, and quite frankly, some East Coast voters probably did not get to watch a lot of his games with Pac-12 after dark. Uh, I guess Bo Nix might still be in the mix to an extent. What's your thought on the Heisman race this year as we come down to the wire?
4: No, I think you hit it. Uh, I think that's going to be the three. Now, again, we can't tell uh, when we actually sign a document to not tell who we voted for until after the announcement. But, um, uh, and and look, how close this can be, uh, frankly, Hag is if Bo Nix and Oregon win and and, and Bo has a better game than Penix, then you're talking about, uh, a uh, um, a two man race in, in reverse. Uh, and Pennix is probably l- looking at third uh, there too. So a lot of people are, you know, they are on Bow, and you know, this is the old Bow that we knew at Auburn type stuff. Bo had a great year. He's improved tremendously. I don't, there's no question about that. Uh, but again, it it is uh, for the voters it is tremendously hard to ignore what Daniels has done uh, at LSU. And you really wonder, Hank, if he would have had even a decent defense, what they could have done this year.
0: You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Brent, we'll get more into the playoff next week. As you mentioned, Next week, we'll already start previewing bowl matchups. They come at you that quick. Have a yep. great week, my friend. We'll do it again in seven days.
4: All right, Hank. Thanks much, bud.
0: And welcome into the high school spotlight, 1010XL, 92.5 FM, and we have reached the top of the mountain. It is championship week in the FHSAA. If you are playing football this week, you are playing for a state title, and that includes three area teams right here in northeast Florida. The Bradford County Tornadoes, what a win last week over Pensacola Catholic in double overtime to win and advance to the state championship. Their head coach is Jamie Rogers, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, how we doing?
3: Hey, doing great, man. Uh, what What a night, Friday night.
0: All right, for people that didn't see it, I imagine a lot of people listening did because I got a lot of texts about it. Um, I think admittedly, and I think you even said this in a TV interview, you guys might not have played that bad the entire season. I think four fumbles, right, that you lost all four of them. What a defensive effort to keep you in the game. We'll get to the winning two-point conversion in a moment. But, Coach, how do you keep your kids positive when seemingly everything is going against them,
3: um, man, eh, I, I the new one of the news channels interviewed me after the game and they told me about the four fumbles and I said, "Are you, you guys sure it wasn't like ten or 12? Because <laughs> that's that's what it felt like, and we and we lost every one of them, like you mentioned. Um, no, we uh, you, you know what's crazy? You know when things are uh, you, you know when it's going good, and you know when when it's and when it's built the right way is Hacker, not one, not one kid, not one staff member, not one coach, nobody over there, uh, lost heart, not no, no finger pointing, no anybody upset with someone that just fumbled. It was none of that. It was uplifting. Hey, we're going to get it right. We're going to figure it out. Our defense going to keep us in the game. And, uh, with just a monumental effort on the defensive side, um, uh, I mean, we just kept turning it over in the first half. We played about as poorly as we could play on offense and, uh, the defense just kept tackling uh, pensacola catholic was huge uh i mean the size of their kid we probably up front on both sides of the ball and we're not small but on both sides of the ball we were probably at least 50 pounds a man uh up front at least and uh some was some was a lot more than that but uh they just kept tackling just kept playing just kept hitting just kept being physical and and they kept us around until we got it figured out and held on to
0: the ball Jamie Rogers, the head coach of Bradford County. The crazy thing for me, coach, is I'm on the air Friday night in Denmark. Our producer is telling me, uh, well, Bradford fumbled. And I'm like, great. And then uh, a couple of play, a couple of moments later, we go to commercial. He's like, well, they got the ball back. I said, what happened? Well, the defense forced a three and out. I mean, every time yep. you guys fumbled, your defense um, kept you in the game. And like you said, you kept battling, you kept battling. And that gets us to the end of the fourth quarter. I mean, it's fourth and goal. It's your season. It's, what, 14-7, yeah. I guess, is what it was at the time. And before we yeah. even get to overtime, you guys had to score at the end of regulation. Take us through those moments.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we were, um, you know, we, we haven't been down double digits all year. We were down down at Miami. We were uh, behind a couple times, but it was never more than a touchdown. And uh, we, were down with four, we were down 14-0 with 10 minutes left in the game the other night in the fourth quarter. And probably the biggest... There was tons of big plays at the end of the game, but the biggest play probably came on the 70-yard uh, tunnel screen to Khalil Cummings, who uh, took it the distance for 70 yards and got us to within one score. And when that happened, um, it was like it gave juice to the, it gave juice to the whole sideline. It gave juice to the bleachers. By, by the way, they were packed. They were sitting on top of each other and they were electric the whole game. It was unbelievable atmosphere. But when we scored that that long touchdown run, it gave everybody juice, and our defense just kept playing. They were playing hard already. They just played harder got us the ball back. Then we had a really good drive. Where we we felt like at halftime I could hear uh I heard Jason Clark yelling at the guys. They're getting tired. They're getting tired. We just got to keep playing. Just keep playing. Keep keep getting them tired. Keep being physical. And that's an unbelievable message for a coach to hear. I didn't even walk in there. I was just eavesdropping. And uh, we we you know we were able to wear them down a little bit and we got a, a bunch of good run plays from from a lot of people and then set up the uh set up the power pass. Great call by David May. He said, Coach, I think if we get them in this formation, he said, I think they're gonna they'll, they'll lose they'll lose either Chasen or they'll lose Torn. They're gonna lose one of them in the play action, and they lost both of them. Both guys were wide open, and he he lofted it up. Jeremiah lofted it up for uh, for Chasen in the in the end zone, and uh, it was crazy, just crazy
0: play. So you score at the end of regulation to force overtime, and then it gets goes from crazy to just absolutely surreal. So Pensacola scores. They're up twenty one fourteen. And now you guys have the ball, and and I'm taking people through it that might not have seen it. You score to go up 21-20, and you go back to when conditioning began in January, into spring drills, into summer camp, into fall conditioning, the entire season, the entire playoff run, and your season comes down to a decision you made to go for two and the win right then and there. Take us through that decision.
3: Yeah, well we, we, we used our time out there. Um our first our, our when we <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I uh they were they were so big up front and and the formation that they were using just a wildcat package with, with three linebackers and, and and times a defensive end that was really big back there. And I wasn't sure ten and in was it you put us at the fifty, I would have probably kicked the extra point if we had to go fifty and in. But 10 and in um it's hard to keep those guys from getting 10 yards when all they got to do is just press forward a little bit and they they outweighed us by so much. So I was kind of teetering on what to do and uh, I was leaning towards going for two and then chasing Clark stepped in the huddle said coach this this is what we do this let let's end it right here we uh, we all let's go and I said well, I, all I needed was their guts so we made the decision there when, when they said let's go for two, Coach May, we, um, we went out and we, we got in our heavy set, the uh, one that we like to do use on short yardage. Um, we were going to try to draw them off sides and make it a yard and a half instead of three. They did a good job, didn't jump, and we motioned we motioned chasing and torn over um, our two backs, motioned them over to the weak side, had not shown that on film at all probably this year, and uh, confused Pensacola a little bit. They had a couple guys standing around trying to move around, and Dejan snapped it. And uh, he didn't get in by much. He he just he did, just did get the ball over, but uh, it was the right call, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we listened to the guys.
0: Coach, I've been doing this 17 years, right? I've seen some celebrations in my day. That was quite the scene, though, out at Bradford County on Friday night when that when that referee's hand went in the air and you guys knew you won the game.
3: Yeah, it was unbelievable, Hacker. Unbelievable. Never seen anything like it. I've been doing this a long time. Um, People about tore the stadium down the, uh, the bleachers. Um, it was people jumping fences, rushing the field. It looked like a scene from college, one of those college games. I was worried for the goalposts at times. And it was just people just running in different directions, looking for somebody to grab high five. Um, it was exactly, it was exactly what high school football supposed to be. Is it, that was a small town high school football. If you could take a, if it had a drone footage of it, that's exactly what it's supposed to look like. And it was, uh, it was, it was as good as it gets.
0: Jamie Rogers of Bradford County. All right, you take a deep breath. Now, normally people listening might say, oh, man, you have a game like that. How are they going to refocus for Friday night until they realize you now play the team that eliminated you last year and not only eliminated you, Coach, but you've used that the entire season. I know you've had the Coco score from last year on your scoreboard during practice. You've had it in the locker room I imagine getting your kids refocused for Friday night is not going to be a problem.
3: Yeah, it won't be. They were talking about it after the game in the locker room, talking about when when will the film be up. They were they were super focused. Were they happy? Sure. Were they wanting to celebrate? Sure. And they should have. Well-deserved. But, yeah, we won't have a problem getting focused this week. Um, it's uh, The community support's been fantastic. Uh, we got together as an administration yesterday and lined up how we want to treat Friday. Um, there, there's a lot of people that are focused, not just the kids. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you use that as motivation. The team ended our season last year, and they're really good. I mean, it's uh, it's well-documented how good they are. Um, I just – I want them – I want Coco to prepare like they're really good this week. I want them to prepare like it's going to be easy. You know what I mean? I want, I, I want them to, to not be <laughs> – to not have their best practices this week, thinking that it's going to be easy because our practices won't be like that.
0: Coach, as we wrap up, uncharted territory for your players. You, on the other hand, have coached in state championship games. How much experience and how will that help you prepare your players for Friday night?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, just the way we did things last time, you know, in 2017, did prepare it. It help me because there was things that that happened and, and some circumstances that came up that I was not prepared for. And you can't be prepared for it unless you do it. So, um, I'll have those things ironed out a little bit and, uh, you know, it's a later game, a little bit. Our games are at 7.30, so 8 o'clock, that won't be a problem. Um, I just uh, – I, I know that our kids – here's the only thing I care about. I know that our kids are going to play hard. And if that's the case and our kids go out and play hard and, and we – hey, listen, we can't turn it over any more than we did the other night. So, I'm assuming that those are out of our way now. So, if we play a clean game and we play hard, the the outcome's not the most important thing to me. I, I, I just – I have a belief that we're going to be there at the end.
0: Coach, is it a situation Friday night where the last person out of the county locks the door? Because I imagine Stark is going to be well-represented over there in Tallahassee.
3: Yeah, if you want to rob a bank or a store, that'll be the – Friday night will <laughs> be the night to do it because there'll probably be – I'm not sure how many law enforcement – I'm not sure how many people will be here, um, especially if they turn up like they did this past Friday night. It, it was It was an unbelievable scene when – I, I, did, I just saw some, I've seen some videos afterwards because I'll be honest with you, I, I lost it a little bit. I blacked out a little bit when, when he scored and I saw the officials' hands go up. It was, it was a great moment for all of us. But in some of the videos, you can hear big trucks in the background revving engines. We got fireworks going off. There's people jumping fences in every direction, all four sides of our field jumping fences to get to the players to celebrate. It was, it was unbelievable. And uh, just so happy for the kids and the community to be able to be a part of it.
0: Jamie Rogers of Bradford County, they are playing for a state championship Friday night, taking on Coco over in Tallahassee, 8 o'clock. Coach, for people that are interested, I'm sure there's a – is there a send-off at Bradford County? What's kind of the plan there when you head on over to Tallahassee?
3: Yeah, there'll be some some things come out on Facebook on our page and stuff like that, but, uh, yeah, we'll definitely go – the buses will definitely hit all the elementary schools – They'll hit the middle school. They'll hit the three elementary schools in the county. They'll definitely do that. And I'm thinking they got something planned as a send-off out on 301. So, um, yeah, all they just need to do is just keep getting updated on our Facebook page. And they know where to go to get the info. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a special day Friday. 14-0,
0: 14-0, and let's go get one more and let's bring a state championship back to northeast Florida. Jamie Rogers of Bradford County. Coach, congratulations on an incredible season. Go get one more on Friday night. Thanks,
3: Hacker. I appreciate everything y'all do. Go Tornadoes.
0: And the high school spotlight rolls on here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM championship week in the state of Florida. If you are playing this week, that means you are playing for the state title, and that is true in St. John's County with the still undefeated St. Augustine Yellow Jackets. They are a perfect 13-0 and on the year, and they will be going to a state championship game to cap off a perfect season. With that, Brian Braddock is the head coach of St. Augustine High School, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, how you doing?
5: I'm doing great, man. How are you?
0: Coach, we're good. Thank you for the time as always all right, state semifinal games are supposed to be competitive, right? It's supposed to be nail biters in the fourth quarter. Good grief. I mean, you guys just put it all together last week, and Fort Myers-Dunbar didn't seem to have an answer for you.
5: Yeah, um, you know, the game was – the game, I would I would say, if I'm honest, it was a little tougher than what the score indicated. Um, at the end, you know, I think it was a – it was a 14-6 uh, to 6 game at halftime, and then we were able to, to get a big play from – from Trenton Jones, and then and then score a touchdown in the third quarter to kind of bump it to 21-6, and then it was touch and go for a little while until uh, you know the back half of the fourth quarter we were able to generate a big play to CJ Jenkins, and then um, you know then at that point desperation mode they were having to go for it deep in their own territory and punched in that last one. So it was it was a tough game and um, just able to pull away. Credit to our whole team and how they just kept at it.
0: You know the last four weeks you guys have run the table at home and you've played some really good football teams from Middleburg to Pensacola, Scambia to Choctaw into Fort Myers Dunbar. And I know how important it is really for all the programs in St. Johns County to win those games at home, but you got to be pretty happy with your team and running a perfect home slate this year.
5: Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't be more proud of these guys and um, you know, they've worked so hard. Um, You know, we played that uh, a rugged schedule and played some really, really, really good football teams. They definitely earned, um, you know, the, the seating that, that we were able to receive and it um, was, was obviously very beneficial for us to be at home. You know, I think we played in back to back to back weeks. We played teams that all made, you know, four and a half plus hour trips. So really to our benefit, but our kids earned it. So it was a it's, it's been a fun run.
0: You know, what about you personally? Again, Brian Braddock of St. Augustine. Obviously, we'll reminisce a lot more next week, I'm sure, depending on what happens on on Thursday night. But you've had really good teams at Mandarin. You've had really good teams at St. Augustine, never able as a head coach to reach the state championship game until now. Uh, what's your thought on the run that this team has made to get that program, to get you, your staff, everybody involved, to that state championship level,
5: um, you know it's it's just uh, it's really I'm it's really gratifying for the kids to get to experience this. You know that now puts them in in rare air. Um, they're the they're the fourth team on our in our school's history now to, that are going to get to play for a state championship. So that's really really special. You know I almost got emotional um, talking to our kids. You know each practice this week will be the last practice of that day. You know today will be our last Monday practice for our seniors ever, but they're getting to do it and what had to be the last one. So, I mean, it's really, really special. So, um, you know, we knew we had a talented team. Uh, we've got great kids. Their talent extends, you know, beyond just physical ability. Um, they're great kids. That's why they've been able to maximize what they're capable of, and um, just gratifying to see their hard work pay off, and this is really special for them.
0: Brian Braddock, the head coach of St. Augustine. They are in a state championship game Thursday night, and we'll get to that in a moment. Coach, I'm pretty sure you know this but if not I'll, I'll people that cover high school football certainly here in the area and statewide the thought all along was you were probably going to see Daytona Beach when at some point they were probably going to see you at some point uh you appeared to be the two best teams in that classification a majority of the year did you know that at some point coach you were probably going to see these guys
5: um we, we knew there was a chance for sure. And, and with us only being an hour apart, you know, there's a decent bit of familiarity, um, knew how good they were obviously coming off of a state championship appearance last year. Um, you know, uh, after our Bartram game, um, uh, you know, both us and mainland played Bartram and really, really good games. Um, their coach reached out to me. We communicate with some regularity and said, Hey, I, I think it might end up being us either in the semis or, or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean it's not a complete shock, you know. I mean, but we've we've had some tremendous teams that we've had to overcome to get here, and certainly understood that those teams were capable of beating us. Um, but but yeah, it is kind of cool, you know, because that there has been a lot of talk about us in mainland um, even early on in the season, so it's kind
0: of cool. You mentioned an hour apart. I mean that does I guess help you right because you had to play a team from Pensacola, from Choctaw, from Fort Myers. Well now you do play a team that's basically an hour from you guys, an hour and change. I mean, how much does that help being somewhat familiar?
5: Um, I mean, I don't know if it helps or hurts because being familiar with, with them might not be a great thing <laughs> when you look at them and you see how imposing they are and how, uh, how, how well-coached they are, how hard they play. Um, but, no, it's good. I mean, it, it's, it, it is it's good from the perspective of, you know, there, there are some kids on each team that know each other um, through like seven-on-seven seven and off-season stuff. So that familiarity, um, I think, does bring a comfort level, but probably for both teams, you know. So, um, But I tell you what, whether they were far away or real real close, um, they are big, they are fast, they are aggressive, and they're very, a very, very good football team. So Coach Rowland's done a tremendous job, and we will have our hands full. But I guess that's what a state championship game should be.
0: Final moments with Brian Braddock, the head coach of St. Augustine. Coach, Thursday night, you guys are one of the first games out of the gate and look I know you're not gonna say it and you but but I'll say it you know uh, just from a media perspective it would have been nice you know to have some sort of inkling that you might have played on Thursday I think mean, I think they announced those things on Saturday which is preposterous to me uh, but even even with that the fact that it's a day sooner than you normally play a day less to prepare that affects mainland too right it affects both of mm-hmm. you guys uh, what's your thought on playing Thursday uh, Thursday afternoon there?
5: Yeah, you know, it'll be it'll certainly be different. And, and, you know, I don't I don't make all the decisions at the state level. And I'm sure that there's reasons why the kind of the structure and the, the time in between semifinal and finals changed from the last uh, couple of years where they had that week in between. Um, so, you know what? But it's the same for both teams, for, for all six teams that are playing this upcoming Thursday. And, um, you know, we'll be excited to kick it off Thursday at uh, three o'clock. It is different. We do have to adjust a little bit um you know i know in daytona they have that municipal stadium so perhaps mainland's a little more familiar with it but that's that's uh you know a unique schedule this week for both teams so we're excited to play thursday at three and and we'll be ready to go then
0: you were around the program in 05 and 07 the state championship games this is your first as a head coach just your thoughts going in will you reach out to to coach wiles and get some uh you know guidance from him how do you plan to prepare yourself for thursday
5: yeah for sure well i even uh, i spoke with coach wiles last friday and you know just asked him some opinions on travel logistics and things like that in the event if we were successful friday night i knew you know saturday morning that stuff would kick into high gear so um absolutely you know coach wiles is a tremendous mentor we uh we communicate with regularity and i'm certainly going to lean on you know any advice that he has and and, and as well as some other coaches who have been able to to play in this game and be successful in this game so uh we want to do everything possible to give ourselves and our kids the best possible chance to be, you know, play their best to perform highly. So um, we'll exhaust all options for sure.
0: Coach, as we wrap up Thursday, uh, we get Daytona Beach mainland in the 3s state championship game. What's the plan? Is there a send off there at St. Augustine high school? Take us through the itinerary.
5: Yeah, we're planning to depart here Wednesday around noon and uh, there will be a send off. And um, I think we're going to have a, you know, maybe a police escort, um, you know, to get us out to the interstate to the County line and, um, should be an exciting, uh, an exciting thing. I know that the details will go out a little bit more as far as the route. I think we're going to go by, by our two feeder middle schools for sure. Um, just kind of exciting, you know, uh, with them being a a part of this as well. And, um, and then get on over to Tallahassee. We're going to do our, our normal Thursday practice will be Wednesday. And and we're going to do that at, 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 uh, at a, at a school over there. Um, a coach has been gracious enough to host us for that. And then we'll, we'll kind of go, you know, get to our hotel and then the next morning, get up and get ready to go play. So, uh, that's the plan. And, Hopefully a big send-off at noon for these guys will be real exciting on Wednesday.
0: That's absolutely fantastic. St. Augustine going to the state championship game. They played Daytona Beach Mainland Thursday afternoon with the winner hoisting that trophy at the end of the day. Brian Braddock of St. Augustine, a perfect season to this point. Coach, congratulations on a great 2023. Go get one more on Thursday afternoon, and we'll be talking to you next week, my friend.
5: Appreciate it. We sure are going to try. Hopefully talk soon.
0: Back here on the high school spotlight, 1010XL and 92.5 FM, and we have reached state championship week. Three of our teams are heading to Tallahassee to compete for state titles, and they're given classifications. With that, we welcome in Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, three teams heading to the state title game. That's a pretty good year here in Northeast Florida.
1: Yeah, especially after last year getting shut out of the championship week activities for the first time since 2000 and just about the 10th time in the last half century. So good to see our area team still standing strong. Bradford, Mandarin, and St. Augustine playing for championships this week. And we'll see if any of those teams, and maybe all three teams, if they can bring it home.
0: Two-team seasons did come to an end before we look to the future. Trinity Christian fell to Clearwater, and then Bowles played one of the best teams in America and Miami. Norland hung around with them for a little bit. Obviously, Norland pulled away there in the fourth quarter. Just a final thought from you on both Bowles and Trinity Christian this year.
1: Good, yeah, good seasons for both of those teams and obviously didn't end up um, where those teams have expectations to get to in that state championship round. Uh, but Bowls, you have to be impressed with what they did, especially after starting 0-3 and kind of limping to the end of the regular season at 5-5 five and five and you get to the state semifinals for the fifth consecutive year. Matt Toblin and that coaching staff know how to put a game plan together. I would have thought that uh, Norland would have racked up a little bit more than the 28 points that they did. So, Credit to the defense. They gave up a lot of rushing yards. Bowles did uh, over 400 on the ground and could not stop Norlin. Uh, But again, great season for Bowles. At some point, they're going to figure out how to get over that semifinal hump. And uh, you just don't have the numbers of players as you did at Bowles 10, 15 years ago. So you get this far. You have that success, playing a tough schedule, great building block for the future. And Trinity Christian, um, you know, you expect them to go further every year. They have nine state championships, great coaching staff. Erland Dorman is an icon over there. But, um, yeah, kind of disjointed, had issues on the offensive line all season. I think Colin Hurley was sacked seven or eight times in the semifinal game. Probably should have won that game on the road. You end up losing by a touchdown. You're up 20-7 to seven in that game. Um, really a game you probably should have won. But um, Shaman Badana standing in the way as that gatekeeper in 1M, and uh, probably the best team in the state, regardless of classification. So no shame in uh, Trinity Christian losing that game. Great season for them and for Bulls.
0: Justin Barney of Channel 4. All right, the three teams that are left. Let's begin on the outside and move our way in. Bradford County, the Tornadoes, what a game. Trailing basically the entire time until they tie it up with under a minute to go in regulation. They've survived four lost fumbles and still sent it to overtime. Pensacola Catholic scores. Bradford responds. They decide to go for two, and they get it to win 22-21. What a scene out there in Stark last week.
1: Yeah, great for the Tornadoes and Coach Jamie Rogers' first championship game appearance since 1985, and and getting it done when the adversity hits you. You're down 14-0. Offense, not your strong suit. Bradford obviously a defensively... A minded team, unbelievable last two seasons for Bradford on defense. Your offense needed to do something, dial it up when they're not having a, a, a great game on that side of the ball. They did just that. And uh, talk about the stones of Jamie Rogers deciding to roll the dice and, and go for a two-point conversion to win it there in overtime. Unbelievable call, great execution. Uh, Dejon Shanks in the end zone and uh, Bradford still marching on. They get a rematch with Coco in that state championship game on Friday and uh, you're going to have to put up more than uh, 22 points to beat Coco. That team is electric. And uh, I just question if Bradford has that offense to stay With Coco, I know they have the defense, but um, can they get it done on offense to score enough for the Tigers to move on?
0: They certainly have the motivation. Talking to Jamie Rogers all year, I know they have the score of the Coco game from last year in the playoffs in their locker room when they're practicing in the stadium. He put it up on the on the video board they have out there. I mean, he's been using that all year as motivation. They get a chance to right a wrong, if you will, and play the team that eliminated them last year. Quickly, Justin, rarefied air for Jamie Rogers, right? I mean, how many local coaches, there can't be many, have taken two teams to state championship games?
1: Yeah, pretty impressive for Jamie. And, uh, you know, you look at what he did at Swanee, too. Didn't uh, didn't win a state championship there, but kind of turned that program around. I went to his alma mater, got them in a state championship game at Baker County, and now doing it at Bradford, and uh, we'll see if he can bring it home. I think it's a tough task on Friday. You know, it's nice to have the motivational material and stuff, and I'm sure – It works for a little bit of time, but Coco is a very good, very veteran team. Receiver, Javon Boggs, with that 23 touchdown catches. Uh, We'll see how that offense cranks up against that Bradford defense. Uh, Brady Hart, the quarterback, 3,500 passing yards, 40 touchdowns. Uh, So that just total collision of offense versus defense the unstoppable force the immovable object we'll see who blinks first.
0: Justin Barney of Channel 4 in St. John's County St. Augustine has made it back to a state title game a perfect 13 and 0 on the year and I think anybody that covers high school football Justin you probably figured at some point St. Augustine was going to see Daytona Beach Mainland and it's going to happen in the state championship game on Thursday afternoon.
1: Yeah, kind of kind of been heading towards that all season long. You you thought about midseason that these two teams, the way they were playing, how they were uh, dominating other teams, how they were battling games um, would be the last two left standing. Mainland was there last year, lost to Lake Wales. Like Wales of course not in here this year so Daytona Beach that gets a chance to go back and try and win a state championship St. Augustine's first appearance in the title game since 07 uh, just the fourth overall I've covered all four of those state championship uh, game appearances by St. Augustine so uh, interesting to see these guys back and really cool story at St. Augustine those guys a lot of those guys who coach on that team played for St. Augustine were part of a state championship run or uh, you know played on teams that went to the final four Brandon James of course great running back at St. Augustine he's the offensive Coordinator. He was a, a catalyst on that 05, 15 and 0 team. And I've made that 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 kind of that parallel all season. This team, St. Augustine, I've said it from week one. They have they remind me a lot of the St. Augustine team, the Brandon James, the Jock has Rickerson, those guys back in 03. A lot of young guys on that team, like the Lachlan Hewlett's of, of last year. You know, they they learned the ropes early on. They started when they were sophomores and they uh, went to the playoffs. They lost in the first round of the playoffs. And uh by the, the second and third years of their time in high school, they were a machine. They won a state championship by the time they were seniors. I look at this class, the Carl Jenkins, the Trenton Jones, the Lachlan Hewlett's very, very similar. As I look at the, the Brandon James class, those guys in five. I think St. Augustine will win a state championship, if not this year. Uh, certainly next year in the uh, Mainland is going to be a fantastic challenge for the Yellow Jackets.
0: There is one team left in Duval County, and that is the Mandarin Mustangs. They have gone four for four on the road. Winter Park, Lake Mary, Sanford Seminole, and last week, Monarch down in Coconut Creek, which is, uh, I believe, Calvin Ridley's alma mater. And Mandarin, again, in a state championship game. And who do they see? Well, the team they beat five years ago in Miami-Columbus.
1: Yeah, and a great, unbelievable track. And I know Toby Bullock would have loved to have had a game at home for the fans at the corral to kind of showcase uh, what they have and see that environment and that playoff atmosphere. But to win four playoff games on the road, not been done by an area team before. We've had teams play in four games on the road, win three games in a row on the road, but never four in a row on the road. So that is just fantastic. They're going to have to win five on the road or at a neutral site away from home uh, if they're going to win a state championship, a rematch against Miami Columbus team. They beat 37-35 with Carson Beck and Mario Douglas back on that uh, that 2018 season. That was just magical. Of course, Toby Bullock, coach now, was an offensive coordinator on that team, uh, and I think he likes that matchup. They have got exceptional players, and I, I know we give a lot of credit to uh, Jamie French, Tremel Jones, uh, Drake Stubbs, who had a fantastic game against Monarch with three turnovers, including scoop and score. But how about Teant Weiss and Deshard Westcott? Those guys running the ball strong, really give Mandarin's offense that uh, that element that uh, it's just tough to defend with so many guys. And I think that offense really goes to the heartbeat of those running backs, Deshard and, and Tiont. An exceptional defensive play, too. Jackson Copeland, Grant Pettigrew, those guys on that side of the ball. So everything clicking for Mandarin. Can they be, uh, stretch that out again, be road warriors again, and beat Columbus like they did in 2018? I think it's going to be a fantastic game. On 3 p.m. at Friday. On Friday, Justin, there's no doubt
0: that the three teams in our area have very tough matchups. Bradford County, again, Coco, Mandarin, Miami, Columbus, and St. Augustine, Daytona Beach, Mainland. What's your thought going into these games? How many state titles do we bring home?
1: Uh, I, I think we may get two out of uh, two out of three. I think Bradford's got a tough uh, a tough haul in that one against Coco. I just question, like I mentioned at the top of the call, that um, the, the offense kind of worries me after. Struggling against Pensacola Catholic, you had size, you had speed, uh, but really, I don't know if you have enough offensively. To score wins and stay with Coco for a full, full quarter. I think Bradford's defense is phenomenal, but can they stop that Coco attack for four quarters? You know, Coco should be undefeated. They had a very uh, questionable loss to St. Thomas Aquinas during the regular season, probably should not have been a loss. Um, so I just, I, I, I'm, cu- I'm, I'm curious if Bradford can hold Coco down for four quarters of football and score enough to beat him. I think St. Augustine Beach, Mainland, and I think Mannard uh, Beach, Miami, Columbus.
0: And look, it's a long time coming, but if people want to watch these games, finally, Bally Sports sports is going to air all the state championship games i have no idea why it took so long but it's great that they're finally doing that
1: i miss those games on uh, on tv i love how they have it in georgia where you can watch it on on public television stream it there for free it's awesome i love that georgia experience glad that uh, florida's getting a little bit back i miss the games on the old sunshine network uh, back in the day where you could watch them on tv
0: justin barney of channel four justin leave us with this Better news than expected. I mean, the game sucked last night, and the Jaguars lost, but Trevor Lawrence, it's not season-ending. In fact, worse news about Christian Kirk. His injury is going to be a lot longer, it appears. A high ankle sprain, though, for Trevor, and it looks like he will be back at some point this year.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, that is good news. Nothing structurally wrong with that uh, with that leg at all. You worry about knee ligaments popping, an ankle, uh, an ankle injury is, is not good. Not the best news. I mean, you've seen those high ankle sprains. You've heard them before. linger on for a little bit of time. Sometimes a sprain could be worse than a break kind of deal. And we saw Mac Jones suffer a terrible ankle sprain a couple of years ago and was back playing within a couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, that's. Uh, A good news after a horrible night of football for the Jaguars, Uh, the Christian Kirk news tougher to swallow and, you know, just a bad night on the injury front. Being there at the game last night just felt like the whole energy from that stadium went out uh, when Trevor went out of that game in the fourth quarter. And you hope that Christian Kirk injury is not season ending, but it did not sound good.
0: It didn't sound good, but next man up, and I got to tell you, I was kind of intrigued with Parker Washington last night. We'll see what happens as he now will replace Christian Kirk in the lineup. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, enjoy the state championship games, my man. We'll recap them next week.
1: Take care, Hack. Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you to Justin Barney of Channel 4 for joining us tonight here on the High School Spotlight on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Big takeaways of the evening. Well, it's obvious. You have to understand at a certain point when a team continues to show you who they are, you need to believe them. And right now, and that's the two key words, right now, the Jaguars are a team that appears not to be ready for the spotlight. They've had three home opportunities against three good teams where the national focus was on them, Kansas City, San Francisco, and last night against Cincinnati, and they have completely – um, I won't say embarrassed necessarily, although it's closer to embarrassed than anything else, themselves in those three contests. Now, 8-4 and four is still terrific, and they're still in great shape, but they have absolutely missed chances to secure the South by now and to put themselves on the national map, and it's happened now three times this year. So all the talk about are the Jaguars with Kansas City and Miami and Baltimore, I would pump the brakes on all that, pump the brakes on all that, particularly now with the injuries. You just hope to get back to the basics over these next five games, win enough to get in the playoffs, and then ultimately see what happens. But again, the overwhelming message tonight, when a team shows you who they are, you need to believe them. And right now the Jaguars are a team that's good, but certainly not elite. That'll just about wrap it up for a Tuesday night edition. Talk about a long day. I was here with you from 1.30 to 3 a.m. this morning, and I'm signing off now about 21 some-odd hours later. Here is Hacker After Dark, wraps up. Thank you guys for hanging out with me late here on a Tuesday night. Again, thank you to Justin Barney of Channel 4. Thank you to Toby Bullock, the head coach of the Mandarin Mustangs, as they get ready for a state championship game on Friday night. Also, thank you to Brian Braddock of St. Augustine and Jamie Rogers of Bradford County. My friend Brenton Beard breaking down the committee's decision to leave Florida State out, which I still can't believe. And of course, we had a little Tuesday night coaching with Campo back in our number one. We'll be back tomorrow night at eight o'clock and we'll do it all over again. My final show of the week tomorrow night. I'm going down to Orlando for a mini vacay, a little three days. They're at the happiest place on earth, but I will certainly be with you tomorrow night, and I will be back in time on Sunday for the fifth quarter following the Jaguars and the Cleveland Browns. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green, and again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending your Tuesday night with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday night, and we will talk to you again tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.